0: You're listening to Experts in Their Field, a podcast from the Agricultural Science Association. Hello, I'm Tommy Boland, Agricultural Science Association President. In this episode of the ASA podcast series, Experts in Their Field, past ASA President George Ramsbottom is joined by Professor Karina Pierce, Professor of Dairy Production in University College Dublin, and also former ASA President. Karina shares with us her memories of growing up on a beef and sheep farm in Roundwood in County Wicklow, her study in UCD, including a PhD in swine nutrition, and her subsequent career, which has covered a number of aspects of the agri food sector. Karina was instrumental in leading the development of the dairy business programme in UCD and has also held a number of other key leadership positions. Within the sector. On behalf of the Agricultural Science Association, I would like to thank Karina for her contribution to our podcast series and to wish herself, Dennis, and all the family continued health and success.
1: On this episode of Experts in the Field, I'm joined by Professor Karina Pierce from UCD. Karina is known to many of us for a long number of years for. In different walks of life, so I think where we're going to start with you, Karina, today is tell us about your childhood growing up in County Wicklow.
2: Thanks, George. Uh, Yeah, I grew up on a small uh, beef and sheep farm outside of Roundwood Village in County Wicklow. So up near Law, uh, a stone's throw away from the Sally Gap. So a lovely part of the country, lovely views, but a very difficult place to farm. Uh, you'd look at envy at people who were growing grass, maybe in South Wicklow or West Wicklow. Um, when up our part of the country, it was very harsh, maybe into well into April and maybe into May at times. Um, but I loved farming. Yeah. Um, we had, as I say, beef at the time. It's, it's a sheep farm only now, and my, my mm. brother manages it part-time. But I have the, the best of memories uh, growing up on the farm, particularly around lambing time and calving time. I was out nonstop to the point they couldn't get me to go to school some of the time. And then when I got into school, they couldn't get me to leave it. But... Um yet yeah, my, my the time on the farm, particularly my early years, I think, and with my father, I have great memories of.
1: Great. I think Roundwood is the highest village in Ireland, is that right?
2: It is certainly. So when I say <laughs> and we're above Roundwood again, like I say, on the nearly on the on the law Road, yeah. so yeah, a yeah. very
1: high part of the country. So why did you decide to study Ag then in UCD, Karina?
2: Well, I suppose the interest I had in farming really meant that agriculture for me was a very obvious choice. I I had certainly considered veterinary at a time, but I'm afraid my intellect didn't stretch that far and and I knew I was going to struggle for points. So I settled myself fairly early on and, you know, that was fine. In school, actually, there wasn't much knowledge about agricultural science. So I I did a lot of the investigation myself, but because, because of where I'm from in North Wicklow, The reputation that UCD had, it was a really obvious choice for me. So I started ag in UCD in 97.
1: And which course did you do?
2: So I did animal science. science, And again, I think that was just my interest was more on the animal side of it. Always had been. And that choice was there. And we actually, I think there was 42 in my animal science class at the time and one of which is the current ASA president, uh, Tommy Boland. All oh, right,
1: very good, yeah. So obviously you went on to, to study, uh, did your PhD subsequently. I presume that was in dairy, Karina, was it?
2: No, it wasn't, George. As you <laughs> well know, it was in pigs. What? Um, so yeah, I, I finished animal science in 2001 and actually dairy was absolutely where I thought I was going to go. Yeah. Um, I. My work placement was predominantly dairy. Um, I had spent over two months in in Moor Park in two thousand. Um, on Frank Buckley's fertility trial. At the time, we hammered our way up and down the country, weighing cows and taking blood samples and body condition scoring cows. That was fantastic, and I also worked with. John Leeson on their dairy farm outside of Bray there in in Rathmichael and John and subsequently actually Andrew and Richard his sons have gone on to to farm themselves Mm -hmm. so there was great learning in that. I came into fourth year and I was convinced that I was going to do a postgrad in dairy or go into the dairy industry somehow but John O'Doherty's lectures in pigs sort of convinced me um, otherwise and uh, he was a Still is a fantastic lecturer yeah, and yeah. was also really um, working in, in such interesting areas of research. At the time, um, there was a ban on subtherapeutic levels of antibiotics in pig feed. And so he had a master's opportunity in this area looking at natural alternatives to antibiotics. And I was just really interested in that. So the opportunity came up for a master's. And I started with John in Lions in 2001.
1: Okay, you couldn't you couldn't have studied under a nicer guy than John Doherty. Myself and John flattered together for a year, many years ago. <laughs> small world. And John ended up in pigs, but he started in sheep. But back to Karina. So you did your PhD then in pigs, and it was all about antibiotics and things, which is kind of timely at the moment. Where did you go from there?
2: So I was due to finish the PhD. It was a three year programme at the time. And uh, in the summer before finishing, which was a few months before I was due to finish, um, Jimmy Brett had contacted John O'Doherty about a position that was coming up with them as a as a nutritionist, yeah. and between one thing and another, I ended up down in the mill in Callan, um, with uh, Jimmy and a number of the other Bretts. Um, and I uh, interviewed down there for a few hours, met Jimmy subsequently, and I was offered a job in, in Brett's. So I went down, started with uh, with Brett's in October of 2004. Okay. Um, and I spent two great years down there. A lovely part of the country. A lovely part of the country and a really steep learning curve for me, actually. I think what you say in an interview and what maybe you're actually able to do <laughs> turn out to be two different things. But I was, you know, a very very job from formulating diets, I was purchasing some of the raw materials, I was technical backup for the sales advisors um, and I was on farm and I spent a lot of my time there working with dairy farmers, yeah. you know, testing silage, giving advice, working with them, you know, yeah. um, with with issues and not issues on the farms, but mm. a lot of dairy experience
1: mm. over that time. Jimmy, another great friend of the ASA sponsor of Part of our conference last year. And uh, he was interviewed a couple of episodes ago on this. He certainly podcast. was a with great the great
2: himself and the great Michael Miley. Michael yes. Miley,
1: great guy. So anyway, there you are two years now down with Pretz. And then you make the move back to ucd
2: and that was a hard move to make actually because the time in bretts you know was was fantastic but i suppose like a lot of people you start looking to the future and i was starting to think about going home to roost and working in callan was not going to work when you're from roundwood so Mm -hmm. i mean the opportunity was for me there to build on the home farm and ucd's location Mm -hmm. and and to be honest george i missed research yeah as well, so I actually came back to John O'Doherty as a postdoc researcher um, for a number of months, and over that time, then the dairy position opened up right. because uh, Miles Rath, who had been in the position for over 40 years, was retiring. And so I applied for that, um, and I started the job as lecturer in dairy production on April Fool's Day, 2007.
1: Right, very good you know Mildrath another we're the same Mildrath another um dairy lecturer who has a phd in pig production he does yeah. certainly
2: yeah so i think it just shows that maybe what you do during your degree time or your postgrad yeah. time there's certainly learnings in it but it doesn't define you
1: no so back Karina comes to ucd gets into the dairy end of the business again and then along comes the development of the dairy business degree tell us about that
2: Yeah, so I had only started in 2007 and um, there was some sort of conversations within and outside of UCD about, you know, a new degree offering, which they don't come about too often because we've big programs like animal and crop production, animal science, food and agribusiness management. And so we don't start new programs very often. But actually, it was the late Porrick Walsh at the Moore Park Open Day in two thousand and seven announced this new dairy degree and the need for such a such a degree, and really, I suppose that that shaped the early years of my time in UCD because between two thousand and seven, when I started, and two thousand and nine, when the dairy business degree started, my job was working on what was really a unique collaborative program, working with UCD, working with the business school in UCD, working with Chagas, working with stakeholders like the IFA and Macra to pull together a curriculum that still met the requirements for a BAG at level eight, but also maybe was was different to the other programs that we had on offer. And when I say different, I suppose dairy business, again, the collaborative nature of dairy business was quite different. The students spend, there's eight semesters yep. over four years. The students spend one of them in Moorpark, of which you'd know, George, you, you teach them yourself when they're there. Um, so that's quite different. And their work placement was really geared at a time of the year that allowed them to go to the Southern Hemisphere, that allowed them to go to New Zealand yep. for calving time. So they go in July and they're there for calving and they are there for breeding as well. Yep. And that has been really, uh, I suppose, a very positive part of the programme um, because while it's very tough on them out there for first six weeks or so, like imagine heading off with your class to mm. New Zealand, 15 or 20 of you. Um, so they come back as different people and yeah. come back as a very tight knit group as well, having spent the time together out, out there.
1: Right. Great move on together. So. Horik Welsh would have been involved in that and start with you in, in, in the early
2: days. He certainly was <coughs> at many meetings in the development of the programme, yes.
1: Well worthwhile and a great programme. But Green, you didn't stop there then. Tell us about the development of the facility here at Lions. Why did you do it? Who were involved?
2: Okay, so I suppose back at that stage, Lions, we were milking about 96 cows. Mm. So we had a 12-unit herringbone parlour, so that sort of determined sure, the 96 yeah. And we'd been at that number for quite a a long time. And I suppose there was a number of things, if you think at that stage, you know, now we're thinking about sort of 2010, 11, 12 times. We knew quotas were on their way out. The industry, there was a lot of discussion around that farmers were getting geared up for expansion. And I suppose then we looked at the opportunity to expand in the same way as other farmers would. But our facilities were very run down at that stage and they needed significant investment. And not just to expand in dairy cow numbers, but also to have a, a quality facility to for undergraduate students, yeah. for our postgraduate students, veterinary, um, agriculture students, and to enable us to do research as well. Yeah. So there was kind of two parts of that development. The first was around the building and the facility. And we went and looked for industry help to do that. And we raised over two million to build the facility and with six industry partners um, and without their their support, it never would have happened. And then the second part of it then was expanding the cow numbers and setting up a research programme. And that's, I suppose, Enterprise Ireland were very good in supporting us in a research programme for four to five years then. So that kind of brought us from 2006 15 up to 2020 time hmm. and that's where the systems heard and the systems heard research came right. about
1: Correct. great uh, great bit of uh, research going on there at the moment now that brings us up to around the 2020 and now, at that time now i was finishing a program a study with you at the time and i often wonder did you jump or did i push you over <laughs> the edge? i'm still
2: wondering that myself
1: george <laughs> you, took, like, you took a, you took a you made a move for a year or so into enterprise ireland what motivated you what, what were the learnings from that uh, period of time
2: I suppose throughout my career, I've always tried to take opportunities or maybe to try and be um, a little bit brave in choices as I I went along to push myself out of my comfort zone. And I was in UCD at that stage for 15 years. Um, So your role in in university stays the same more or less. Uh, You you, you might change in terms of your title or your academic rank, but your role stays the same. And sometimes it's good to step outside for a while and to take a fresh look at yourself and to experience new things. Um, So I was actually on my Nuffield travels in 2019. And I saw popped up on LinkedIn or something, a, a job in Enterprise Ireland as a senior development advisor in the dairy, in the food division, but it was focused on dairy. And um, as I looked at it, I thought my, my career to date has really been all about dairy production and the within the farm gate this role was focused on what happens to the milk outside of the farm gate and working with the infant formula companies in Ireland working with a large cohort of dairy co-ops at a very exciting time actually as those co-ops have been developing and growing significantly over the last number of years and so the role of Enterprise Ireland is to support those companies to grow and to export and um, so I found myself working very closely with the number of those which was fantastic learnings in even in terms of developing my own business acumen and marketing um, skills you know so a a whole other suite of of skills that you can develop it fell at an unfortunate time for me in that um, Covid had started in March 2020 and I remember going into Enterprise Ireland and it was a really difficult thing to leave UCD to leave friends to leave Mm -hmm. colleagues to leave the position And I went into Enterprise Ireland to pick up my laptop and I wasn't allowed inside of the building because at that point we thought the world was ending. And I picked up my laptop and I dropped it back one year later without entering the building as well, more or less. So I didn't, it was to be a very outward facing position, but I actually found myself in the spare room. And using Zoom and Microsoft Teams a lot but in saying that that's how everybody operated Correct, when I actually are. made the decision um, the opportunity was there to come back into UCD yeah. when I made that decision I met with some colleagues I remember meeting John O'Doherty mm. as I came back and he hadn't met some of the other UCD people in the time I had left yes, so it was quite a seamless transition in and out actually as, as it happened it was the same for everyone yes <coughs> very strange time hi right, Karina where to from here? Where to from here? Well, I suppose as an academic, you're always interested in progressing up the academic ranks. Mm. And I have one more jump on that ladder uh, up to what's called full professor. So I suppose over, you know, the next number of years, I'll be trying to, you know, develop myself to, you know, so that I'm in a position to, to go for that. But I suppose, you know continue doing what I'm doing and trying to do it better in many ways and that might be better research it's you know continuing to work with and teach the undergraduate students which gives you a great sense of pride when you meet your graduates out in industry and they they are now the leaders of the industry there's um developing postgraduate students George and PhDs of which you were one of mine yourself um, and uh, you know and, and to keep doing that and to keep contributing where I can in the industry you know I've been lucky enough over my time with ASA with Nuffield with Chagas yeah. to be able to have you know significant roles in those organisations and hopefully I'll be able to continue to do that into the future.
1: Um, just to go over two or three of those industry roles the leadership roles that you've had in the industry. Tell us about your time as ASA president. What was the key learnings and how did you enjoy that?
2: So the ASA presidents for presidency for me, George, was 2011, 2012. So yeah. what's that 11 or 12 years ago at this stage? So when I think of it, I was actually very early on in my career. ASA was celebrating its 70th year in 2012 because it was, you know, founded in in 1942. And I was the second female president. Uh, Elaine Farrell with the IFA had paved the way before me. Um, So I had the opportunity. And again, I I suppose I, I took it, even though it was very daunting for me at the time. But I had great support. And the ASA for me was really a key part of my career because it it pushed me out into industry networking you know it it was at at time actually was a bit of a crossroads for the ASA because it was really starting to ramp up I remember Frank O'Mara had been president a couple of years beforehand as Elaine had as well started the technical events and really saw the need for that and the the want for that in industry and I tried to continue that on so I suppose the focus maybe during my year was um, you know around engaging membership and growing membership and engaging membership I remember bringing Frank Crosby on to the ASA council because retired members are a really rich resource for the ASA because in some way they have a a wealth of experience and they also have time Mm. and we started a mentorship program in that year as well that that worked quite well and the retired members were really eager to give their willing to give their time to that um, so it was a fantastic year for me and as I say people that I met during that time like Michael Miley and, and Pat O'Keefe have been friends since then and um, and great supporters and mentors for me throughout my career.
1: Greener, you've been a member of the board of Chagas Moan organisation for a number of years. we stepped back there a few years ago, but what were the learnings from that uh, time on the board of Chagas?
2: So that was the first uh, state board that I had Mm -hmm. been involved with. So that actually happened very soon after the ASA. So I finished the ASA presidency in September of 2012 Mm -hmm. and I joined the board or the Chagas authority in January of 2013. So um, it was really well chaired, the authority was, by uh, Dr. Noel Colley, oh, And yeah. um, I really enjoyed working on the board, actually. Very active board, met every month. I was part of subcommittees. I chaired the research committee of the board for the five years I okay. was there. Um, and there was great learnings in that for me and obviously you hope that you could contribute as well because the the research budget of Chagas is the largest part of the the, of Chagas's budget Um, but there were also some challenges when you're part of an authority like that because issues like raising the fees for advisory always there's a lot of attention on and there can be some you know some difficult conversations around that Chagas had come through a significant time of restructuring in terms of offices and so on in the years before. For that as well, um, but I really enjoyed that five years, and so that brought me up to January of 2018. At which point, then I stepped, I my five year term done, and I stepped off of the board. I suppose with a view of looking at some time to travel, um, and and that's sort of what. You know, it was at that time I was looking at doing a Nuffield scholarship and, and I couldn't be travelling for no. a, the guts of a year on and off and be part of an authority like
1: Chagas. And just tell us about the Nuffield and You, you did the Nuffield. Yeah, so
2: so my topic was future proofing uh, the industry through robust research and looking at is is current research, you know, setting us up for the future challenges, Um, which I think is kind of maybe topical, even at the minute, given the challenges that we have in the industry. But there was a lot of people I got to know over the years, some of whom were ASA presidents like Amy McKeever and Mary Delaney, who had completed Nuffield scholarships before me. And they talked so highly about it. Other people I had met, you know, were really encouraging me to look at it. But it's not a typical route for an academic to take. Normally, if an academic, I suppose, takes time out, they go on a sabbatical to a university, we'll say in the States or wherever that might be. But I wanted to get a bigger picture of global agriculture because I think that that really helps us appreciate um, where we sit yeah. and the strengths of and the challenges for us here. Mm. So Nuffield, that experience was fantastic. I got to travel to 11 countries in 12 over 12 weeks during 2019. Jenny. So, you know, to the States, I was in Iowa um, in West Virginia, in D.C. for the political end of it. I was in Indonesia, in Japan, in France, in Nova Scotia, in Canada. Uh, I went to China. I went to Australia. I went to New Zealand and I finished my travels actually at the start of 2020 in Brussels, just before the world was locked down. So obviously I had a focus, which was focusing on research and the research focus in those countries, particularly the pasture-based countries. But... At times I was on an organic dairy farm in Nova Scotia. I was on a tomato farm in in, um, Japan. I was on a 6000 cattle or dairy farm in in Java in Indonesia that was called Greenfields, you know, which was so interesting and and how they fed their animals. The marketing of their milk as grass fed. Mm. And and coming from a country like Ireland, you know, that's also marketing grass-fed and seeing the huge difference between what we consider grass-fed and what they consider grass-fed and how that's conveyed to the consumer. So there was just massive learnings. And, and then after that, I, I joined the board in Uffield for two years, then okay. from 20 to, to 22, two. yeah, as a, as a new scholar director. And there was great, great experience in that as well.
1: And Green, just finishing up then what advice would you give to young agricultural graduates coming through the industry at the moment? What would you say to them?
2: I'd say you don't necessarily need to have a very solid plan because mm. I don't think I ever had a very solid plan in terms of I thought I was going into dairy and I went into pigs and I came back to dairy. And, you know, I remember Anne Derwin actually saying that in a conversation with her one time, you know, that she has, has had a fantastic career career but never had maybe a very solid plan took opportunities and I like to think of you know would advise people to do the same you know be brave take opportunities as they come you'll always learn something and try and apply that and move on again
1: okay Karina Pierce it's been a very fascinating industry to work in it's been a fascinating interview talking to you and we wish you the very best in the future
2: thank you very much George